You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Bop, bop, bop. Boom, boom, boom. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you very much for tuning in. And uh, today we have, it's been a while since I've had one of these uh, podcasts where we we have a kind of a company spotlight podcast, uh, you know, hunting gear related. And today we're going to have a really cool, fun podcast with Jason Phelps of Phelps Game Calls. Um, he cut his teeth on elk calls but uh also does turkey also does predator and what else waterfowl and deer calls too so you know he, he run phelps game calls runs the gamut so to speak but today's podcast really cool we talk about how his season went how phelps game calls got started where it's at now and where he plans on going with the company so just a really cool cool podcast other than that man uh my weekend was a blast went on a little family outing uh, my dad took me and my family and my brother and his family uh to des moines iowa we went to a whole bunch of museums we went to a farmer's market uh we we went swimming in the pool <laughs> which was if you ask my daughter is probably her favorite thing uh we went to a zoo went to uh, the science center it was uh just really cool, interesting, and uh, I don't know about you guys, I'm a nerd when it comes to science, so uh, we went into an IMAX type of uh, theater and watched uh, this, I guess, IMAX movie about engineering, and I don't know, I loved it. I uh, got to go to the zoo and uh, saw some monkeys do some really cool things. Uh snakes fish birds my daughter ate all that up my son ate all of it up uh and just had an overall awesome family weekend and uh next weekend we were gonna go on another little family outing because it's uh, memorial day but the river's too high and the fish fishing isn't good uh so says my father-in-law so i think what's gonna happen is i'm gonna uh probably do some I don't know. I think I might do try to do some whitetail stuff, like some tree stands, some 
what else? Some tree stands, some more mineral, some trail cameras, get all that out, get that set so I can start enjoying the velvet rut. Uh, all those things need to be done before the season starts. And hopefully my goal is to get that done before, oh, the second weekend in June. That's my goal to have it all done by then. Now that's a pretty lofty goal considering, you know, I have two kids who are maniacs. Other than that, let's see here. Today, oh, Ozonics, right? Uh, they're a partner of the podcast. You guys know I'm a believer in their product. I have been since the day uh, I was, I, I got to play around with it. I uh, was skeptic at first, just prop, you know, probably like a lot of you guys used the product, uh, saw good results with it, you know, used it more, saw great results from it. And now it's, uh, one of those products that is in the tree with me all the time. But today I want to let all of you know of a discount code that they extended to specifically the nine finger chronicles listeners. And that is nine fingers one seven. That's nine, the number nine fingers one seven. Um, and I think that's going to get you $50 off of orders over 700 or <laughs> over 700. That's $50 off over orders of $400, $399. So roughly, if you buy the $400 unit, you're going to get 12.5% off the HR200, which is still a great deal. Uh, you're not going to find that anywhere else, um, whether that's in a, a box store or online anywhere. So that's uh, an op- awesome opportunity. Take advantage of it. Save 50 bucks on the HR200. That's a great introductory product for Ozonics. Um, and if you're looking to save a little bit of money, there you go. Uh, other than that, I think we're good to go. Uh, if you want to find out more information on Ozonics, go to Ozon- yeah, ozonicshunting.com and uh, find out more information. And then if you do purchase, like I said, nine fingers, one seven, and that's your, uh, that's your discount code. So other than that, I say we get into this podcast with Jason Phelps of Phelps Game Calls. All right, on the phone with me now is Mr. Jason Phelps. How you doing today, Jason? Good, good. All right, so you are the owner of Phelps Game Calls, right? Correct, correct. All right, and how I start all these out is we're going to get into all that later, right? But the reason that we do all the stuff that we're going to talk about later is to get out there and hunt and, you know, cause we love nature and all that stuff. So how did your 2016 hunting season go? It was, it was good. It was, it was a great season. Um, you know, uh, kind of give you the overview first that we were fortunate enough to, I was fortunate enough to call in four bulls, um, that either I killed, I was able to kill two of the bulls and then call in two for buddies. And then, um, had an awesome uh, deer hunt in Colorado. Um, so overall, it was a, a good hunt. Um, the freezer was full, which uh, is the most important. But other than that, you know, a ton of great memories, uh, a ton of great time um, in the mountains. So you calling for, so you out of the four bulls that you called in, you killed two of them. I take it. Uh, yep. Two of your buddies, you called in for two of your buddies? Correct. So do they pressure you into coming with them because you own a game call company and you're probably if i had to guess the best you know the best at calling or is it something you volunteer to do no it's i'm actually very uh 
fortunate and blessed that uh, my hunting buddies are very, very good callers and we're all on the same page. So even if I can't see them, hear them, talk to them during a setup, they're, we're usually, you know, really dang close on, on what I want them to say or, or to help me. Um, I don't know if it's, it's stubbornness or bullheadedness, but, uh, I typically call for them, but then I turn around and call for myself and, <laughs> and maybe, maybe I'm selfish. Cause like I said, they're, they're extremely capable callers. I just always end up kind of taking the lead even on my own hunts well it sounds um, to me like uh uh you're you live by the if you want something done right do it yourself mentality <laughs> yeah in a way like i said uh my my hunt partners are, are very accomplished colors very very good um it just always ends up that way so how did that uh that deer hunt in colorado go were you successful yeah, yeah, we were able to fill two out of the three tags. You know, it was completely blind. Really, had nothing to go on um, besides us sitting here for you know a couple months leading up to the hunt, trying to figure out where we think the deer are going to be that time of year. Um, usually, I can get to a unit, figure it out fairly quick. You know, it only takes you a couple of days to run up and down from the bottom to the top. Uh, you know, up creek, down creek, down the valley and, and figure it out. This hunt took us a little longer, about two or three days to finally wrap our head around it. And then um, kind of went into kill mode um, towards the end. But we were able to kill two out of three and uh, two two bucks got uh, we catch and release, I would say. So we all should have filled our tags. We just, um, you know, brought two home. It was, it was a good hunt. Um, you know, had a chance at, at some really, really good bucks and took home some respectable bucks. Nice. So... Was this, do you favor guns or archery? I'm, I'm a diehard archery elk hunter. Um, I have archery hunted deer in the past um, here and there, but there's just something still that, I don't know, I love picking up a gun and hunting deer um, in late season, but there's nothing that beats, you know, that early archery elk hunt. So I'm, I'm a, a opportunist, you know, whatever season's available. And then one of my bulls I killed this year in New Mexico was a muzzleloader hunt. So I just, you know, there's only so much time in, in so many states to hunt. And so in order to spread that out, I'll pick up any weapon, you know, anytime throughout, throughout the fall to, to try to be out there. Right. Uh, I had a, a buddy who lives out West and he said, if there's a tag for it, I'll hunt, you know, I'll hunt it. So he, he just likes to go out and hunt and whether that's with a rifle, muzzleloader or uh, bow, he likes to, you know, yep. he'll use whatever. So, yeah, that's exactly how I am. Where, where do you live? Where do you set up shop? We are uh, in southwest Washington. Nobody will know where the city's at. We're uh, about an hour south of Olympia, I guess would be probably the best way to put it. Um, a real small, small city. Um, I think the city of PL has like 600 uh, residents. It's, it's basically built around a logging camp here. Um, we're one of the top, I, I think, top producers in the world for, um, you know, for fur and hemlock production here. Um, you know, so a lot of loggers in town kind of, uh, you know, you drive up and down our highway and it's 50% log trucks. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, we live out here in Southwest Washington and, uh, born and raised out here. That is that on the peninsula, um, by the Olympic Olympic mountains or Olympian mountains? We're, we're South. We're about two hours South of the Olympic okay. mountains. Um, so we're, yeah, truly down in that Southwest corner where that's kind of that, that, uh, you know, Northwestern peninsula. Right. Along the coast. But yeah, we are only about 45 minutes from the coast as well. I tell you, I went on a, uh, I had to go to Wibley Island 
for a wedding, you know, just northwest of Seattle, yep. and took some ferries over to the uh, Olymp- Olympia Mountains, or is it Olympic Mountains? Ol- Olympic. Okay, the Olympic Mountains, and that's some gorgeous country out there. Yeah, it's it's awesome. Um, the Olympic Mountains are a little frustrating for me because some of the biggest elk I've ever seen are inside the Olympic Mountains, but uh, it's a national park, so it's completely off limits. <laughs> it's always <laughs> like that, though, man. Yeah, it, it's cool, though. I mean, I believe there should be some spots like that, but it is it is frustrating to look in there like, ah, oh, you know, hiking through there. Um, it, there's some great elk country in there that's completely forbidden. Now, is that a, is that a Roosevelt elk that live in those yeah, those are those are true Roosevelt elk, and um, you know, just from what I know, uh, you know, paying attention up and down the coast, uh, it's probably your best genetics uh, in the world for true Roosevelts. You know, the Canadian, uh, British, you know, British Columbia, some of the, Vancouver Island has some giant true Roosevelts, um, but that area there has has some really big bulls, and that's big bulls as far as uh, body size or antler size. Well, both. So Roosevelt, oh, okay. even our, even the Roosevelts in my backyard, which tend to have, uh, you know, fairly small, you know, horns, antler configurations, um, they still have big bodies. Those ones up there have giant bodies and giant, you know, uh, sets of headgear. I gotcha. So just, what's the difference between an elk? Cause I heard, uh, down in New Mexico where you also went, um, elk. That's a, a trophy state, right? So uh, yep. they consider it a trophy state. So big antlers there as well. Is the are the body size similar? They're smaller unless you once you get into really mature bulls, um, mature Rocky Mountain bulls. It, it kind of all starts to even out. But a, a truly large mature Roosevelt's always going to be your biggest bodied bull. Um, you know, if you kill a really old seven, eight, nine year old bull in New Mexico, it's still going to have a large body, but they don't quite. You know. Uh, Oranges to oranges, you know, the same age class, uh, the Roosevelt's are always going to be bigger and, and sometimes by quite a bit. Gotcha. So is that uh, out of all the places, I take it you've been to more than uh, Washington and New Mexico to hunt elk. What other states have you been into to chase those guys? So I really haven't expanded a lot. I've, I grew up doing, you know, until the internet arose, you know, and I started uh, paying attention. I'd never hunted outside of Washington probably for the first 20 years I hunted elk. And then uh, I've hunted Montana, Idaho, and New Mexico since. So I've only got uh, four states under my belt, but I've got points in every western state just kind of waiting for uh, all the stars to align. Right. And that's something that I'm doing as well as I'm putting in. See, my goal is to get out. I'll be cutting it real close. I got a baby due in, in mid to late September. So I'm going to be going, trying to get out to Colorado for an elk hunt. Yeah, the fir- or it'd be the first or the second week of September. And then uh, meanwhile, for the last couple of years or last four years, I've been putting in points for uh, Wyoming. So, nice. you know, when... I just, I don't know. There's something about want me wanting to expand from whitetails to get out and start hunting other animals. Um, it just, it's, I think about it a lot. I'll just put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't imagine go and going without, you know, at least one elk hunting. I try to get two in every year. Uh, one of these days I need to go chase whitetail around, but it's one of those things like, you know, I don't know how you guys think, but it's, it's tough, you know, because we're kind of oversaturated with whitetail this, whitetail that, even on hunting TV. And it's like, man, yeah. growing up in the, growing up in the mountains, like 
Uh, maybe one day that spark will light, but like right now it's like it's all mule deer and elk for me right now. But I, I think a, a whitetail hunt's definitely in my future as well. Oh yeah, and there's not that I like. I mean, I'm I'm born and raised in Iowa, right? So I'm in the the you know the mecca for whitetails, but yep. it's 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 just something different. And it's not, I don't know. I went out to Idaho. Uh, most of that hunt was uh, rain and yep. <laughs> I was in a tent a lot, but I ended up getting up there. I saw some elk. I heard some bugles, nothing really close, but it was different. And I, I was mobile and moving and calling a lot. And, you know, it's one of those things where it's just, it's something different. You're active and I don't know. And plus it's, it's the mountains, right? You can't beat those. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I had a, I kind of always joke, I had a tree stand for about 15 minutes one time throughout my life, and I, <laughs> I, I climbed up, in. it was a self-climber, and I had a, a couple, you know, straight fir trees behind my house, and I, you know, climbed up the tree, and I sat there for about 10 minutes, and I'm like, I can't do this, <laughs> and climb back down, I don't, it's going to be tough, yeah. there's going to have to be, I'm going to have to be covered up in deer, or I'm going to go crazy. Or I tell you what, you'll probably have to start in one of those states like North or South Dakota where you do a spot and stock hunt. That way you can still spot and stock for, for whitetails and then slowly transition into like something where there's river bottoms and you can, you know, maybe a day of spot and stock and then a day or an hour or an evening of sitting in a tree or, you know, something like that to, to ease you in so you're not just sitting eight hours in a tree stand your very first uh, whitetail hunt. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can't I've, even do it. Yeah, I've hunted mule deer in a in a blind here in Washington. Uh, we can use bait, and so it it was it, it it's not my <laughs> typical um you know my typical hunt. I I went on the hunt, and uh, we had deer in front of us all the time, so it was a lot a, a lot better to uh you know to keep me keep my attention on something. But it was still it was still a struggle. Right, right. So, so how old were you when you started hunting elk? Elk, um, so my dad and uncles, my dad has uh, four other brothers. So there are five brothers, um, and then my grandpa and his brothers and, and, and uncles. Um, so it was, elk hunting was always a rite of passage. Like they let us hunt deer as soon as we could get our our tags and, and pass our safety course. But elk hunting was reserved for like high school age. And so growing up, you know, I was allowed to deer hunt. And I don't remember fourth grade or third grade when I got my uh, my license, but they always kind of held this elk hunting over our head. Like we weren't old enough. We weren't ready to do it. And so, um, we always kind of looked at it as that rite of passage. And so I started my freshman year, um, elk hunting. So that would have been like 13 or 14 years old. Nice. Um, and uh, how, when, when did you start becoming successful? I mean, cause I, I take it, there's a learning curve. You don't just go out and shoot an elk your very first year out or, well, unless I, you're one of those guys who does, and then I hate you. <laughs> I, well, I'm going to be the hater. I've, I've was able to find success fairly quickly and often. Um, awesome. You know, for a couple of reasons, my, my family, um, even in this area is well known. They're pretty diehard, um, elk hunters. And that was one of the reasons we couldn't go. We live in a, on a tree farm, basically, you know, warehouses in our backyard. They log it every 40 years. Um, it's not like elk hunting in the mountains even where these guys will jump off in the brush. They're all loggers. All my uncles and dads grew up loggers. They'll jump off in the brush and they'll just figure out how to hit a road four miles down the drainage and somebody will pick them up, you know? And so it, right. I can understand now, you know, why eight or nine years old, they didn't want us doing that. Um, 
but you know, so they were diehard elk hunters. They, they taught us well. Um, they all worked in the woods. That was another advantage. You know, the young kids first year out, they knew where elk were. They had them patterned. They had us on the right landing in the right area on opening days. And then they usually let, you know, us younger kids do the majority of the shooting for the first couple of days until they had to jump into the brush and, and chase them. Right. So rifle hunting slash muzzleloader hunting, um, like I said, always kind of been an opportunist. Um, they would buy us muzzleloader tags, rifle tags, just to kind of extend their own seasons. Um, now, when I switched to archery hunting, um, my freshman year in college, between my senior and freshman senior year of high school and freshman year of college, um, I went to the store and bought a Primo's bugle and and some calls and and got pretty efficient with it fairly quickly. Uh, went out. Nobody bow hunted, so I was just going out calling elk, you know, without anything, and was very successful before season, during the archery season, and so it kind of sparked this interest that uh, I was going to pick a bow up and go elk hunt with my bow. It, it seemed too easy, too good to be true. Uh, well, I didn't know at the time that archery was a whole different animal. You didn't just go sighted in, you know, two days before season, make sure you were hit, <laughs> you know, did, make sure you were hitting two inches high at a hundred yards and go out and do your thing. And so I did get a bow. I, I thought I was good. I went to, went to a few 3d shoots and, uh, that first year in the early season, I missed four or five bulls at chip shots. Just, you know, nerves got to me. I wasn't, uh, you know, I didn't have everything down. I wasn't, you know, calm and cool. Uh, ended up killing a bull still later that year in my first year archery hunting, but I learned a lot of lessons. And then from then on, it really, it really clicked on how much time and dedication it was going to take to not only call bulls in, but be, a, you know, successful and efficient every single year. Um, and then from there on out, I've, I've had fairly good success, but that, that first year, um, definitely taught me some lessons on, it wasn't going to be as easy as, as rifle hunting had been. And there was, you know, the, the archery dedication was needed. Right. So how, how old were you then? when you decided to start Phelps game calls and what year was that? So that was 2009. Um, and, and I've always been kind of that obsessive compulsive guy, but it, hunting has always been the staple. Like I've always been obsessed about hunting, everything about it. Um, as much time as I can spend from July, you know, looking at, you know, bulls and bucks and velvet until the last, you know, December season's up. I always wanted to go with somebody, help somebody out, find them an animal, uh, whatever. So I've always been obsessed. So 2009, um, after I was building high performance, um, ATV and motorcycle motors for racing and stuff. And that had kind of lapsed and I was just, I found myself bored, you know, is, is that obsessive compulsive side ran out, ran out of stuff to do. I'm like, well, I love elk hunting. I love calling elk. I'm fairly good at it. Um, let's see, you know, there's a need. I thought there was a need for, you know, uh, new products, uh, more consistent products. And so it kind of just sparked, um, sparked that side. Well, you know, I I grew up out in the woods. I, I knew how to use you know, a wood lathe, you know, kind of how to do all that, but the whole call side, like how do you get the sounds? And so, um, that, you know, as the forums were kicking off, there's custom call building forums. I just started paying a lot of attention, finding out where we, you know, you can get material sources from where you can do, you know, where you can kind of put these parts together to develop your own calls. And then it kind of just molded from there. We started out with just a, a wood external call, um, you know, didn't necessarily do anything new or different, just marketed it fairly well. 
um, you know, used it in some of our videos, which, which kind of sparked as well. And then from there, it's kind of whirlwinded out of control. Now we have, you know, three or four different styles of diaphragms, um, you know, brand new Beagle too. We're working on four or five new products now, but it has been a slow, uh, you know, a slow building process. I, I always kind of look back at the analogy, you know, a house is first built on a foundation or it's going to fall over. And so we didn't, you know, there's all these dreams and ambitions when I was first starting that, you know, I want to grow this thing and make $20 million a year like Primo's or, you know, or I don't even, I yeah. just pulled that number out of the air, you know, just some big number. I want to make a killing on this. But at the same time, I didn't know if I would sell four or five. About year two, um, you know, I, it kind of all switched. I, I kind of fell in love with the, the journey, you know, not so much the end. I don't even pay attention. I don't have an end goal anymore. You know, it might be bad business, but you know, everybody's got these, well, you want to get here or get there. I just, I fell in love with this journey of just creating new calls. You know, I've got a, a priority list of, well, you know, I want an external elk call next. I want to, you know, a, a rab, you know, a rabbit, uh, jackrabbit distress. And I want a cottontail distress. And so I've just kind of, you know, as money comes along and, and we have money available, I've just fell in love with this journey of developing the best calls I can and, and just kind of chasing, chasing my passion. Um, which is so did you decide right off the bat hey i want to start a business first then i started making calls or it sounds to me like your obsessive compulsive disorder right eh? i mean you yeah. you said i want to try to make uh my own calls and that then did that spark into a business opportunity or was it vice versa yeah so i you know i had ran a business before i was kind of a little burnout coming off of you know the rebound of, of that business not really failing just not panning out how i had envisioned it in my head so it was more of a hobby i didn't you know the first six months when i was building calls i didn't have a business license i didn't have any intention of selling calls really it was just to tinker around and give my buddy some calls well i started to give a few away just you know to see what people think and, and try to improve the improve the product and like monstermealies.com, huntingwashington.com, some of the forums out there. And, and then people started asking for them and wanting them and I would build more. And so then about six months into, I decided, well, you know, it's going to turn into a business or if I'm going to accept any money, it has to be a business. Um, so we went that route and then things are just kind of, like I said, it, it just turned into more of the journey uh, being a diehard archery elk hunter. I know that diaphragms are your next step. So I started researching, well, you know, who sells the, uh, you know, components to make diaphragms? Who do I got to go to to get a press? Where do we get latex from? And started down that journey. Um, and that was kind of my next big investment in 2011. I bought a press and started making my own diaphragm. So we ran on uh, just, just the uh, wood elk calls for about two years. And then about 2011, I decided that I needed to order my own uh, diaphragm press and started that that side of the business. So, all right. So you're a decent caller. You start a business, you know. How did you decide, you know, and you're, you started with elk, which from my understanding, elk have so many different vocalizations more than you know we than a whitetail right you think of a whitetail you yep. got a grunt you got a snort wheeze and there's probably some other some other things and, and they blow when they're when they're mad right or yep. when they're scared now from my understanding and from reading on elk and all this you know all these other things um they have 
tens of different vocalizations, you know, like 10, 15, I don't, I don't know how many, but just a yeah. lot. So how do you, yeah. how do you go and you perfect a sound like that to, to make it, um, I guess, mouthwatering for the animal that you're trying to, you know, trying so, to kill. So, yeah, the, so by studying the forms, I learned, you know, the radius is on the, the, you know, without nerding out here completely, the radius is on the tone board, the thickness of the mylar reed that vibrates, just like on your white-tailed deer calls, you know, you have a, a piece of mylar reed that kind of overhangs uh, the tone board, that vibrates, that gives us a sound. So you start to figure out that you can modify the tone board itself, which is, you know, with the, when I'm developing my own calls, I'm using a file and, uh, you know, a lathe and, and an end mill. To, to develop that and I can shave a flatten the I can either flatten the radius I can steepen the radius um, things like that I on the on the reed I can either change thickness of mylar from ten thousandths to fourteen thousandths to twenty thousandths and then we can also change the shape so you're basically changing the weight of that mylar reed to affect you know the the tone of the vibration and then we can change the the barrel length diameter and then the wood we're using on the barrel to richen up the tone kind of deaden it out and so you can play with those three um factors and kind of dial in that sound you want all right so, so everything you just said was like twenty thousand feet over my head right so yeah yeah so you 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 build this product Right. And, and maybe you you're using it around the shop. Right. And it sounds good to you. Yep. How, how do you go out and then test it to see if it actually works and it actually works on the animal that you're trying to kill? So that's exactly what we do. Um, you know, this last so we would just take it out in the woods and use it, um, especially in that first year when I didn't know it was going to be a business. I still had all of my. Um, commercial calls, you know, the stuff I could get from, you know, Cabela's and, and Bass Pro or whatnot, uh, or the local uh, pro shop. I still had those calls, but I went out with a purpose to try to use my calls solely. And then if they were just completely, you know, uh, causing me failure, that I could switch back. And so we found out in that first year that these wood calls were extremely effective. Um, and, you know, I was trying to sell them as well and get, get hunts on video, um, but we didn't need to use them just for that. We use them because how effective they were. Um, and so like last year I came out with a brand new amp diaphragm. Um, I call it my amp series. We actually allowed about 50 or 60, uh, testers last year to use them, give us feedback before we ever launched them to the public. Now I was 99.5% confident that I could have released them to the public without being tested. But I wanted feedback. I wanted feedback on what ones were the best, what ones to include in the lineup and exclude so that you don't start off with a bunch, you know, any bad reviews or anything. And so uh, not only did they test the effectiveness, the use, kind of the durability over a season, but they were able to, to try to make sure that that product came out to everybody else as good as possible. And so we always try to get next year's products in the hands of hunters the year before. Um, nobody really knows they have them besides, you know, them and me. Um, but we do always try to get some field time on them and find out, Hey, you know, this thing may sound perfect to our ears. Um, even, even when I test the call, I go down below my house. I have a bunch of timber below my house. I'll video myself on my video camera, you know, hundred yards away, but I'll be down in the, in the trees calling. I want to hear what that call sounds like in that instance, what's it sounds like in the sound, what my buddies think it sound like. And then, uh, you know, really if the it can we can all think it sounds as good as as we want to, but if the elk don't 
you know, agree with us, it, it doesn't do it any good. Okay. Um, so, so we truly field test everything. So you hand your call out to 50 people. Um, did any of that feedback that came back to you influence any tweaks or 2.0 versions that, uh, you know, changes you need to make before the, the end release? They, they, so we, when we sent those out, we sent about 10 different styles and specifications out from what everybody sent back to us. The, the feedback was actually surprisingly well, even across the board. Uh, we did take everybody's suggestions and narrowed it down to about five uh, final production calls to release right off the bat. Um, so it wasn't so much um, making tweaks to the call itself, but rather what latex type, thickness, and specification we were going to bring them out. Um, so that was that was more of the feedback. Um, you know, the durability had seemed to be good for most. Um, we, we did make some changes on durability and, uh, and some specs, but for the most part, it was more paring down what type of latex we wanted to use into what stretch. Okay. So what are the most important things to, to making and, and I'm going to just going to say the word call as a general term, but if you want to break it down by diaphragm, by bugle, by uh, read call, um, what makes an elk call good so in my opinion when i'm designing a call from the ground up i always no matter you know if i'm blowing the call and uh and i'll call myself a professional you know i hate saying a, a good caller like me but i can run almost any elk call really well i want it to be as easy as possible for me but i also want to be for that call to be as easy as possible for the brand new caller to pick up or the intermediate caller to pick up. So first of all, I always try to design it to be very easy to use regardless of who's using it. Um, and, and so that's my number one priority. Number two, it needs to sound good. So then, so easy to use, sound good and accurate. And then number three, I, it, I want it to be good over a spectrum. So now, as I already mentioned, you know, you got your professional caller on the right side, you got your brand new caller on the left side, I want that call to be desirable for the expert caller and I want that call to be desirable for the beginner caller so that they can grow with that and not feel like they need to get something else. So it's kind of that one-stop shop on that call. Um, and then with that, what we have to do on the back side is build durability and consistency into that call. In my opinion, consistency is the most important. When you have a guy that orders um, you know, call X uh, today, and he orders call X in two months. I, I feel that that call should be the exact same call he takes out of the package and should be able to pick up right where that call was um, that he had from two months ago where it seemed like there for a while there were um, you know, some issues with, with consistency and quality across the board. Um, and then durability. You know, Elk calls by nature, it's tough to tell people you're only going to get two or three days out of a call, if, but that seems to kind of be – maybe the the status quo for for a lot of people so if i can even stretch it out to five or six days or ten days and, and build that durability into the call it, it's it's a huge selling point okay so i should have bought two i don't even know i think i bought mine from cabela's but uh online but i bought two diaphragm i bought one diaphragm call should i have bought two diaphragm calls because uh the the durability of, of something like that is of diaphragm calls is on like a weekly basis 
It, it depends. Um, if you know that's the call you you like and you've bought before and are going to use, then you could buy two of it. I always I don't want to oversell to anybody right off the bat because there's no ch- there's no um, for sure way that that call is going to work for you. Um, you know, so maybe buy one, see if it is the right call and then, you know, buy two or three potentially for a season. If you're, and it depends on what type of hunt you're on. If, if you have the ability to run back to the, you know, the bow shop on day three, cause your call broke out or, or blew out, then that's a different scenario. Whereas if I'm going on a backpack hunt for 10 days straight, I don't have the ability to run. I don't even want to walk back to the truck to get a different call. Uh, you know, I want to, so it just depends on what type of hunt you're on, but uh, besides diaphragms, most of your calls are reusable year to year. Even our wood calls, our beagle tubes for sure. Um, pot call, you know, pot turkey calls, uh, box calls, all of those are reusable year to year. The consumables are really diaphragms. The latex just doesn't have a whole lot of UV resistance. Um, just over time, they eventually start to, to lose their stretch, um, you know, sun crack and other issues. So, um, if you have a call you really, really like, some guys can stick them in the refrigerator over a, uh, you know, a, a winter and, uh, you know, get some more life out of them. But there's no need to just, you know, they're fairly cheap. You can pick them up and, and kind of have a, a fresh batch for the next year. All right. So you started off with the elk calls, right? Uh, and then, yep. you, then you expanded to elk diaphragms. Was a... You also sell turkey diaphragms now. So was that just a no-brainer step? Because when you look at them, they look almost exactly the same. Yeah, the everything is the process is the same. The material is the same. The tape's the same. Like everything is the same. It's just coming up with a spec. So, <laughs> excuse me. At the time that I started making elk calls, I, I was almost simultaneously making turkey calls on the diaphragm. Um, at the same time, it just it's a natural progression. Um, why not add a few new SKUs to your lineup and, um, you know, do some things that you wanted to do with turkey calls. You know, if you're not completely happy with what you've been buying, I was able to build some of my tweaks right into my own calls. Okay. Now, and, and go ahead. I was going to say the price to entry is basically the, you know, the price of material you've, you've already invested in the press. So it just, it's right there and, um, you know, make them on the same exact machine. Gotcha. Okay. Now you also, so as a, you know, everybody kind of knows you right off the bat for, you know, making elk calls. How hard was it to, you know, start marketing towards the turkey hunter as well? Is it, was it kind of a, a seamless transition or was it, uh, or was it, you know, did it take some time to get your name out there to say, hey, we make turkey calls too? Yeah, the turkey calls are definitely, you know, lagging from the elk calls. We don't put as much effort, um, as much time, as much money into marketing them. I really use the turkey calls to pick up all my existing customers, um, you know, guys that I knew out west that are elk hunting, but they also turkey hunt out west. Um, so that's really kind of my demographic. There are so many more turkey call manufacturers than elk call manufacturers it's a little bit depressing when you look at getting in the, the marketing race and, and trying to compete there. So I, I had kind of made the strategy just to compete against the Western Turkey Hunter and, and try to market my calls to, to people out West. Um, you know, East of the Mississippi, there's probably, I'm just going to take a stab at it. There may be, you know, a hundred to 500 times as many Turkey Hunters East of the Mississippi as there are West. Okay. Um, so 
why is it important, and especially for diaphragms, you know, you have, I'm looking at online right now, right? And for your, for your elk, you have tons of diaphragms, right? You have, it looks like you have two different um, reed calls and one bugle. So for, from a, from a diaphragm perspective, why do you offer so many? Why do you have so many different, uh, um, options for diaphragms? So on the elk call side specifically, um, the diaphragms and I hope no turkey hunters hate me for this. In my opinion, um, when you're trying to select your, your go-to call on an elk call side, there's so many variables on that. Not only that, but then the fit is important. So you can see on, you know, for instance, on the elk call side, I've got an amp series, which has a modified plate over top of the latex. And then I've also got flat or conventional style diaphragms um, that have multiple layers. Some of them are single layer. Some of them are double layer with cuts in the top read. Some of them are triples with cuts in the top read. Um, you truly, <coughs> excuse me, it's truly just trying to figure out um, what call works for the majority of the people. And then these calls in my eyes all truly do something different and excel in certain um, spots. So on the conventional side, I think we have 11 skews still. And then on the amp side, we only have five skews. Um, the amp seems to be a little more universal. A lot of, you know, it's a lot easier. It's more of a one size fits all. So a guy with a, a narrow high palette can use them. A guy with a wide, you know, basically flat palette can still use those amp style diaphragms. Okay. Now, on the flat side, we offer three different sizes. I've got a small frame, a medium frame, and a large frame, and that's because the fitment of that frame up inside your pallet is of huge importance in order to be able to run that call. Okay. So I'm uh, I'm looking at your the names of these, right? So like uh, the Pleading Hottie, the Signature Bull, the Signature Cow, Monster, Herd Wrecker, Elk Commander, all, all these things. When, when a guy walks into uh, up into the mountains and he starts calling, um, and you mentioned each one of these kind of does something different, to an untrained ear like myself, it may sound the same. What, what actually are, what are the differences here? What do, and what do those differences do? So a lot of them are thicknesses uh, of latex. Um, the every color of latex actually has a slightly different sound, a slightly different property um, on how much uh, you know water retention or spit, you know, basically spit right. retention at that right. point. Um, they're all stretched different. So, like the signature cow, it's going to be stretched not near as much as a signature bull. And and the reason being on a signature bull, you're, I wanted that call to be able to go up and hit that high note for bugling. Where on the signature cow, I wanted it to be stretched a little bit more lax so you can get those really easy, deep, uh, uh, estrusy-type sounds out of the cow side. And so it, it's truly trying to come up with the best solution for that type of latex or for all the latexes. You know, I've built the signature cow with every style, every thickness of latex, and in my opinion, that blue latex we use on it has that deep sound and, and it works well. Gotcha. Okay. Now, like, for instance, the Beast... It uses a very thin piece of prophylactic with a very heavy backer reed. Now, when I locate off of a, you know, a big Idaho ridge or a big Montana ridge down into a 3,000-foot hole, um, that call has a very high pitch. It carries better than all these other calls. So that's a call I would maybe use for locating versus some of the others. Okay. 
So there's different scenarios where you would use different you know, different calls, whether you're far away, you're close, uh, nothing's responding or everything's responding or, uh, so there's, there's just different scenarios for every type of call. Yep. Okay. Yep. Or, and, or different calling styles. So like one guy may use the monster for their locating. It has a little bit thicker read where I use the beast, you know? And so it, it truly is that different from person to person on, on the call that they need to use to get that same tone where I may need a different call. Okay. So as far as, you know, from a, from a company standpoint, um, how important is it to not only just sell a quality product, but educate your customers on how to properly use your product. Extremely. And we try to, I would like to think that we do as good a job as, as anyone out there, um, whether it's, you know, I've took advantage of texting, uh, Facebook messaging. You know, I, I have 10 to 20 customers a day sending me audio clips of themselves running a call. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just, it's something that if I sell you the call, I don't, I would just assume see you be able to use my call then go try to pick up you know, on other manufacturers, because I, I, I do believe that, you know, some of these calls are the easy, you know, just the easier, easiest to use. And so I need to do a better job educating, whether that's through videos, you know, through hunts, um, through texting, um, just from being around it enough, I can listen to somebody calling and, and diagnose fairly quickly, you know, probably what the issue is. And, and I've been able to help countless people through emails or text, um, kind of fix their problem. <laughs> That's kind of funny. So people call you and say, all right, listen to this. What am I doing wrong? Yeah. Or, or yeah, or they record <laughs> themselves and, and text it to me and, um, gives me a little bit because answering the phone all day, uh, cuts into my efficiency, but yeah, anybody's more, <laughs> anybody's more than welcome to, uh, text or, or message me a, an audio file. And when I sit down at night, I'll go through them and, uh, try to provide some feedback. All right. I tell you what, that's, that's customer service on a next level. We try, we try. <laughs> so, you know, kind of elaborating on, on that uh, a little bit, do you guys put out in, uh, like instructional videos? Do you put out, um, or like, I guess, uh, audio like, okay, this is how you're supposed to use it. This is what it should sound like. And then tips and tricks on how to achieve that. We, we don't, yeah, it's, it's, it's all my very top of the list on things that, uh, me and one of my hunting partners were going to put together. It just hasn't come to fruition yet. It's, right. we've been fairly overwhelmed with orders and it's just, it's tough to get to that when you're constantly building calls. Right. Amen. Um, Amen. So it, it's definitely something that's needed and, and customer feedback. You know, if I had those videos available, I would spend a lot less time listening to people call on my on my phone so <laughs> you need to hire someone just to listen to to bugles yeah yeah so uh no it's it's something we we have kind of a 10-part series laid out we just haven't acted on it yet i gotcha so from a you know from a growth standpoint you guys have elk calls you have turkey calls you also have predator calls and i'm looking on your website here it looks like you have deer and and uh, let's see what else waterfowl calls. So is this something that, I mean, you're going to try to brand every type of call for every type of animal that you possibly can, or are you going to stick to and focus on like the, the elk and the predator and the Turkey? 
So my my dis, you know, my uh, my comfort level, my expertise comes in in what we're already producing the the turkey, the elk, and the predator. Um, it wouldn't be right for me to come you know come out with a bunch of deer and waterfowl calls and and try to piggyback on my success that I've had with elk and predator and turkey um, due to my own knowledge. And so I think you know future I look forward to teaming up with some waterfowl callers and some, you know, guys that spend a lot of time in a deer blind or a tree stand that listen to deer. Um, I'll still be kind of the creative brain behind the project. Um, you know, with, with the ability to design and create the product. Um, but I'm definitely going to lean heavily on feedback, um, from some of these, I would say kind of that those sector professionals, you know, the guys that are out there deer hunting all the time, know more about deer calling than me. And for me to, you know, understand that and, and rely heavily on them. And, and so I, you know, I just want to be careful on the growth of, of the company on the, you know, making sure that if we are going to build something that it, it truly is good, unique, and um, is going to work. Right. Uh, now, new products, right? So when you when you find free time, you're not listening to voice messages or you're, <laughs> or, you know, you're not actually making the product and you start thinking about what comes next. Uh, what's that process look like? And, you know, how do you know what product is going to be the next product for Phelps? It's, it comes a lot on customer feedback, you know, at the sport shows this sportsman shows this year, um, you know, guys come up to you, Hey, do you have an external beagle? Um, something where they don't have to run a diaphragm in their mouth, but it still allows them to bugle. Um, you know, you get that question enough times, it it's you know, it's on your radar, and then it goes from your radar to kind of the top priority. Um, and then I also look at kind of the line we've got developed. We have external uh, wood calls. We have a, a really solid diaphragm lineup. We have bugle tubes. Do we really need to put time in that, or should we expand? You know, or should we reinvent the wheel or develop something new? And so when we 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 have that list and then we go down the list and then so to get into a design you you kind of know what's going to work um you know can you use some of your existing products in that new part um and then being an, uh, a professional engineer um by nature i've i've got some design background i i can take advantage of some processes that that allow me to test prototypes very quickly my brother's also an engineer who's a better 3d drafter than i am and so i can design the part he can draft the part and we can have working prototypes you know within a couple of days um you know from from paper to to working part you know fairly quickly we also i still like to consider myself a little bit of an old school call maker. I have a bunch of raw material out in the garage. I can take a piece of plastic, um, you know, put a radius into a board off of a, a public jig and then just start to sand this part down or go out to one of my lathes and, and, you know, build a new barrel out of whatever material I want. And so it gives me kind of the flexibility to test these parts in real world um, before we ever try to invest a whole bunch of money into a production of these parts. Right. Um, you know, Go ahead. So, so conceptually, it's I've I've got tons of shelved products out in the shop. You know, this this is good. This is good. This is good. It's just every time you get ready to go to production, um, it seems like every time whatever I think it should cost, I always have to add like two or three zeros to the end of what it's actually going to cost <laughs> to get a single new product. Um, to you know, to to be able to sell. Right. 
So then, you know, as your company, I mean, you you mentioned that you're you're having fun on on just this journey, um, and it's just kind of doing what you feel, you know, a lot of feeling and less on trying to make money and and trying to, um, you know, hit that ten million dollar mark, like you said. Uh, it seems like it's more of a journey for you. So where do you see Phelps Game Calls in like the next five or ten years? I mean, what's your goal? I don't, you know, as we mentioned earlier, I don't really, I go day by day, you know, in those first two years, I had all kinds of goals. I wanted to be in Cabela's. I wanted to be in Sportsman's Warehouse. I wanted everybody on TV to use my, you know, kind of one of these high pie in the sky type goals. And, and, And about two years it clicked. Like, I don't, I don't really have a goal. We just, we truly go day by day. Um, I, I, I'm loving everything that we do. A newfound, uh, you know, something that makes me smile every day is the ability to help out, you know, friends and family that, you know, could use some extra income or could help um, with the business, um, you know, getting people involved that, you know, I can truly make a difference for, um, you know, it, it might sound cliche, it might sound over emotional, but it's one of those things that I've, I've took a lot of a pleasure from from the business is, is the ability to, you know, to help some people out and um, you know, give them jobs and people that do a really, really good job for me building calls or helping out on, you know, certain components of building calls, um, has, has been truly awesome. Um, you know, so far we're, we're not in any big box stores. I think the biggest, um, outlet we're in is Shields. Um, you know, and, and they're not even, a you know, th- just a few stores order from us. Not even, you know, it's not a big, uh, order and so we've truly grown this thing 100 percent you know come to us um i think we've got like 30 pro shops on board and we do a lot of our selling online um but we're just letting it grow kind of organically i guess um not searching for a whole bunch of business um do a good job marketing them on on social media um try to be as informational as we can and uh, let things kind of fall as they as they will do you feel that a, a call regardless of what the animal is you're trying to call in, do you feel a call is something that somebody can, if they're a first timer, they, they will buy it online. Or do you feel that uh, a lot of your customers want to touch it, hold it, feel it and use it before they end up making the purchase? So we're, that's another thing we I found, or, you know, I guess I would have known it the whole time with elk calls. You, you it's something you can't go like a, you know, a first light jacket or a Sitka jacket and a, and Cabela's. You can go try it on. You can zip the zipper up and down. You can put the hood on. You can do all these things. An elk call, you can't do that with no matter what. I mean, no matter if it's a beagle tube, no matter if it's – unless your buddy's got one and he's willing to let you put it in his – you know, a diaphragm in his mouth or blow on his external. So we're, we're kind of fortunate in that aspect. Um, I, I still um, am an advocate for people going to all of the, the shops that support us and, um, you know, spending your money local. But uh, people that aren't close enough to shops or shops that don't currently carry us yet, um, you know, ordering online, there's no real risk because it's the same risk you'd have of buying it in a store. Gotcha. Um, you know. So where does uh, so so where does your 2000? You know, kind of going back to hunting now. Where does your 2017 hunting season go? Are you going to different states? Are you going to stick to Washington and, and New Mexico? Or what do you got planned for this upcoming year? 
So Washington um, is it all depends on the draws. If I don't draw an Eastern Washington tag, um, I probably won't elk hunt in Washington. Um, deer hunting will be dependent on what I draw in other states. I do have a deer hunt and the archery elk hunt planned for Montana. I'll most likely archery elk hunt Idaho as well. And then um, it really just depends on the draws. So, so far I've got one deer hunt and two elk hunts planned. Nice. Sounds like you're going to be but, fa- fairly busy. Yeah. Yeah. Both out of state, you know, Washington, we do have some great opportunity and, and I cut my teeth right here in my backyard and, and it taught me a ton. It's just now I'm to a point where I just assume not be stuck in a brush pile and soaking wet all day. And, uh, I'd rather go hunt some more open country East and have a chance at, at some, you know, bigger, higher quality animals. Gotcha. Well, First off, I want to say thank you very much for uh, taking time out of your day to uh, come on the podcast and and uh, chat with me today. And uh, second, good luck this upcoming season. Thanks, thanks you too. And uh, it was it was a pleasure. And uh, glad we could finally meet up. There you have it. First off, huge shout out to Jason for coming on the podcast and uh, talking Phelps game calls with us. He has decided that he is going to give away one bugle tube and three amp diaphragms for this podcast. And here's how you win. The first thing you need to do is go to Phelps Game Calls. Make sure you like the page. Make sure you comment nine fingers sent me. That's the first thing you do. The second thing you need to do is go to the Nine Finger Chronicles Facebook page, share the post that mentions this podcast, and uh, though by doing those three things, you will be able to be entered into this giveaway for one bugle tube and three amp diaphragms from Phelps Game Calls. Looking forward uh, to seeing who wins that. Uh, I'll let it ride out for about a week, uh, so probably next week I'll pick a winner, and uh, I will pull a name at random and uh, then I will go ahead and let you know via email or Facebook or whatever so there's that so thanks to Jason for coming on the podcast thanks Jason for the giveaway huge shout out to each and every one of you for taking time to download and listen huge shout out to the sponsors Ozonics, Ripcord, Exodus Deer Lab, Lone Wolf, Wasp Archery, Gearhead and uh, excuse me there I think that's it uh, if you guys are going to be out in a, a tree stand wear your damn safety harness there's that but again please 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 go sign up for the National Deer Alliance if you haven't already I'm going to beat this dead horse until it's nothing but a mushy pile of horse hair and blood and guts because I feel it is that important please go sign up for the National Deer Alliance get their um, newsletter and become active and become uh, educated on what's going on out there so there's that I think that's it I've mentioned everything have an outstanding week and uh, like I always say man wear your damn safety harness
Thank you.